Luke chapter 24, verse 13 following. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about threescore furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holding that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? And the one of them whose name was Cleophas answering said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and had crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulchre. When they found not his body, they came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even as the women had said. But him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses, and all the prophets he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village whither they went. And he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed and brake and gave to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him. And he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us, while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened unto us the scriptures? Amen. I have in my office a set of very wonderful old commentaries that are very precious to me. They were given to me by a Presbyterian minister shortly after the Lord called me into the gospel ministry. I've been battling a call to the ministry, and I did not wish to surrender my life to preach at all. But then there came a time when the conflict between the Lord and myself had to come to an end, and I had to, as we used to say in those days in the church, surrender my life to preach. And so I did. 
and and I remember going down a little narrow street and meeting a wonderful old Presbyterian minister. His name was Ernest Barksdale Fancher. He came from a quite elegant home in Kentucky. And many, many years before, over 50 years ago, he too had heard the call to preach. He had prepared himself admirably for the ministry, and then to the astonishment of his fine family and many of his friends, he took his illustrious academic training and buried himself in a remote section of New Mexico working with the Apache Indians as a missionary to them. And he worked for many years there with the Apaches. And then uh, when his children became sick and it was necessary for him to leave because of their health, he moved to the city of Amarillo. And uh, then after his retirement, I went by to see him, and he made a prayer for me that I always felt like was some sort of anointing from the Lord. My, he prayed as Moses or Paul might have prayed. And when he finished the prayer, he went back to his library and he brought out an enormous set of books. They were Matthew Henry's commentary on the Bible, nine huge volumes. And he gave them to me, and he told me that Matthew Henry was a Puritan. But he said he has great insights into the scripture that are still valid to this day, and I commend it to you and hope that you will use Matthew Henry down through the years. I took his advice, and I found it to be very excellent advice. But it is not with Matthew Henry's commentary that I wish to deal this morning, but rather a little bit in his background. Matthew Henry's father was a Puritan also, and his name was Philip Henry. And Philip Henry had an orchard that was close to St. James Palace, uh, which was at that time out in the country almost. And uh, if you're a student of history, you will know that there was a young boy by the name of Charles who later would be overthrown when he was king by Oliver Cromwell and Charles would be beheaded. And there was James II. And these were playmates of Philip Henry who lived and worked in that orchard. And uh, Matthew Henry, the Puritan, had a daughter named Sarah, and he wrote to her a letter on a cold, bleak winter day. She was away from him, and she was the apple of his eye, and he wanted her to have some instructions. Puritans had a way of talking about improving upon a text, and they tried to give to their children a knowledge of the Scripture and some insight that would guide them from a practical side. He knew that in the winter time she would be tempted to be cold, as many of us have been cold in this past week when it turned so bitterly cold. And so he wrote to her about four ways to keep warm in winter. And he gave to her a scripture under each of the points about how to keep warm. The first way he said to Sarah, 
does that if you would keep warm in the winter time, get into the sun. And he gave for a text a verse from the book of Malachi, unto you that fear my name shall the sun of righteousness arise with healing in his wings. Now, if you take the trouble to look at the last book of the Old Testament, which is Malachi, you will find that the prophet is prophesying the day of the Lord that will come. And you will see that the Son of Righteousness to whom he refers here is, we believe, the Messiah himself. The Son of Righteousness will arise with healing in his rays, the beams that come from the sun. So Matthew Henry was saying that if you would be warm, then get in the sunlight, the S-O-N sunlight, the sunlight that Jesus brings, the warmth that he brings. Sometimes when we walk up in the mountains, we can come into these coves where the sunlight seldom gets and see their snow and icicles. Uh, that were formed in bitterly cold weather and that will remain there the rest of the winter until finally the sun can penetrate through and get to them. We need to get into the sun, into the sunlight of Jesus Christ, get close to him, and when we get in that sunlight, then we feel the warmth of his presence, and then we begin to grow in the things that will bring grace to our hearts. And so he wrote to his daughter, get in the sun if you would stay warm in winter. He said to her there was a second way to stay warm. It's a very common sense thing. Go near the fire. There's no need to stand across the room and complain about being cold when there's a blazing fire in front of you and you can go to it and take warmth from it. And there are many people who complain about a lack of Christian fellowship, but they will not bring themselves to church, or will they come to a prayer meeting or a Bible study, or will they come where there are Christian friends, but they stand off at a distance and complain that they are cold. If you are cold spiritually, then go near the fire. Go where the word of God is preached. And let that word of God bring warmth to your soul. I bought some coal last winter, and I've used some of it with wood this winter and heating uh, in our house. And if you look at a big lump of black coal, what that coal is is sort of congealed sunlight. The sun shone for hundreds of thousands of years upon a certain place. And that sunlight energy was stored into that coal. And when you warm yourself by those black coals that have turned red in the fire, you're warming yourself by the stored up sunshine of hundreds of thousands of years ago. We can warm ourselves by the word of God through reading the experiences of other Christians, through seeking to learn what they have gone through, or other believers in the Old Testament, the patriarchs, the prophets, and the psalmists. If you study the great prophet Jeremiah, he will say, Thy word is like a fire in my bones. That the word of God was like a fire in his bones, he would say. That it had to get oxygen. It had to get out. 
expression had to be given to it. It had to be burned. Get in the sun, said Matthew Henry, if you would be warm. Go near the fire, said Matthew Henry, if you would be warm. I wonder how many of us made a New Year's resolution that had to do with the reading of the Bible this year. And if we have kept it even in these seven days of the New Year, are we reading God's Word? And if not, why not? Angels do not sleep. And I guess the angels sometimes look down to Montreat and say, there's Lake Susan all dried up, and there's Assembly Inn, and there's Gaither Chapel, and there are the people that come out. I wonder how many of them opened their Bibles. How many of them looked at the breakfast table at some line from Scripture that might uh, be warmth for their heart? How many of them hide the Scriptures in their lives? I think the thing that impressed me the most about worship last Sunday was the young people and their knowledge of the Bible. And you remember when Claire Stedmore gave that excellent report that she gave about what was going on at Chapel Hill. She spoke of how in 1971 only two young people had met that she knew about uh, to get together for Bible study. And how out of this, the InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, which has a marvelous record of small group Bible study, has developed into where there are almost 600 uh, in different chapters for Bible study now, and those must be reaching many, many others who come. So you see those Bible study groups and the good things that can come, that's solid Christian growth. That's growing near the fire of God's Word. And when we feel that, then uh, we are warmed inside. Uh, we are warmed and made strong. Well, we don't have time. We could go on for a long time about Bible study and should, and I hope you will resolve that in this coming year you will study God's Word more. But think for about the old Puritan's third rule. He said that if you would keep warm in winter time, keep in motion. The other day, I got a very great lecture from my distinguished doctor from Harvard Medical School and Mass General Hospital about the benefits of exercise and how he scolded me that I did not uh, do more walking uh, because it was necessary to keep the vein graft which had been transplanted in my heart in good shape. And you know, exercise makes us warm. Someone has said about chopping wood that it warms us twice. It warms us when we cut it up, and it warms us when we put it in the fire. Uh, it is true about exercise. When we stay in exercise and we exercise ourselves unto godliness, uh, then we can be warm. But the exercise, I think, that Mr. Henry speaks of here in keeping in motion is an exercise in Christian service and how it's needed. That old man of which I spoke a moment ago in the city of Amarillo, Texas, was very much like Harry Bryan's father of our own congregation here, old brother Bryan of Birmingham. Dr. Fancher, when he was well nigh 80 years of age, was still going to the jails, to the laundries, to the factories, to the firehouses, to the police stations, and holding devotions for people who found it difficult to get at church 
at times that the rest of us might go. I went with him to sanitariums and to hospitals. That old man kept in motion for God, and his memory is a benediction to the people who knew him every place that he went. He was always working, working for Jesus Christ. Let your light shine before men, said the Lord Jesus, so that they may see your good work and glorify your Father which is in heaven. One of the blessings of a community like Montreat is that I think most of the people here are willing and happy to be of help to others who are in need. We need always to cultivate that more and more, and not only show that love to people here, but people outside the gates as well, and to other people far away from us. Keep in motion means keep in Christian service. I remember when I was in India, I had loved for a long time Sadhu Sundar Singh, the great Christian mystic. Sundar Singh was lost going into ancient Tibet, taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to an area where it had been forbidden for anyone to go. But Sundar Singh loved Jesus so much that he would make these adventures into the Himalayan mountains and all the way into that forbidden country. I've wondered if somehow through the strange things that are taking place, God still might not get some more gospel into those places. Yes. But Sundar Singh went. And there is a true story recorded in one of his journals of how in the high Himalayan mountains, he saw he was trudging along with a Buddhist monk, talking to the Buddhist and trying to witness to him about Jesus when they came upon a man almost frozen on the steep road amidst the cold wind and the snow. The Buddhist felt no responsibility for the man who was fallen by the wayside. But Sundar Singh, the Christian, did feel a responsibility for the man. And he reached down and picked the man up to the chiding of the Buddhist who told him he was foolish, that he would only burn up his own energy and die. But Sundar Singh would not adhere to that. He placed the man on his back and began to trudge on the mountain path with him. And he told how later he passed the Buddhist monk, frozen in death. But Sundar Singh, through the added exertion of carrying this man upon his own body, had brought warmth to himself in the process, and had stayed warm and survived, and so did the person who was with him. Sometimes it's like that in life, and we need to remember it. James is a very straightforward person when it comes to our responsibilities in Christian service. He tells us very straightforwardly that if our brother or our sister comes to us and are cold and sick and hungry, and we say some pious words, go away and be ye fed and be ye clothed, but do nothing. James is horrified by such errant hypocrisy and chides people who would do any such thing as that. So we are told that our works must be manifest to show to others. And when we do, we keep in motion, we keep in exercise, and we stay warm spiritually. And if our souls have grown so cold spiritually, 
then we need to seek Christian communion. This is what we're about to do here. The word communion means to share. And the words that I read to you a moment ago from that beautiful story in the 24th chapter of Luke hardly need retelling to this congregation. You know how these men had had their hopes completely shattered. How they had been up to Jerusalem, where almost two million people would have gathered for the great Passover feast. And how Jesus, whom they had looked to and trusted to be their deliverance as the Messiah, had been spat upon and mocked and nailed upon a cross. And the sky had turned dark and an earthquake had come. And they had seen it all. And their hearts were broken and they were disappointed in God. They were disappointed in Jesus. And they started that six and a half miles away to their home, walking away from Jerusalem, talking about the things that had happened. And then that stranger comes up behind them. The stranger joins them while they're talking about Jesus and asks them, what is this that you talk about as you walk along and are so sad? And Cleopas, I'm sure that Cleopas must have taken Luke when he was getting ready to write this record of the gospel and said, Luke, I want you to go with me and let's walk out there and I'll show you the very spot. It was right here that I turned around and I said to that stranger, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who doesn't know what's happened there in these days? I was hardly civil to it. Luke, can you imagine, can you fancy asking that question of that stranger? Are you the only stranger who doesn't know what happened there this week? The one who had died at Calvary himself. And then that stranger tactfully said, What thing? And then the stranger began to show them. He didn't jump on them for not believing the women, he didn't jump on them for not believing the, uh, the angel. But he said, all foolish and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Our faith is anchored in the word of God. He is the fulfillment of what the prophets have spoken. And that's what the stranger chided them about. Foolish and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And then, when they were coming to the house where they supposed they would spend the night, I guess it was one of the two's house, he went in. And by this time, they were suspicious about this stranger. And there was something about the way in which he assumed the responsibility of host. Something so much so that Luke says he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Something about the way he said the blessing. Something about the way he broke the bread. 
Is he going to be known to you today in the breaking of the bread? Will he be known to you in the blood that was poured out so that your sin might be forgiven? Will this cause you to determine in your own heart that you, like those disciples, can say, did not our heart burn within us? Our hearts were burning while we walked with him in the way and while he opened unto us the scriptures. Will you go near the son of righteousness? Will you go near the fire of his word? Will you keep in motion in Christian service? Will you seek communion with other believers who know and love Jesus? And will you walk with him in Christian faith? I thought today of many Christians. Elizabeth Fry, great Quaker, William Penn, they were so persecuted when they first started their little organization. Do you know how it was started? They didn't even intend for it to be an organization. It was started when William, when George Fox witnessed to a man about the Lord, and the man trembled at the name of the Lord. And so they called them Quakers. And the Quakers were terribly persecuted. But George Fox and William Penn and John Woolman have all done much to teach us about reverence for the word of God and Christian action for his sake. And when Elizabeth Fry was an old woman, she wrote to one of her children and said, My dear, I can say one thing. Since my heart was touched at the age of 17, I believe I have never awakened from sleep, in sickness or in health, by day or by night, without my first waking thought being how best I might serve my Lord. And then her life is summed up in a poem. Oh, that mine eye might close be to what becomes me not to see, that deafness might possess my ear to what concerns me not to hear, that truth my tongue might always tie from ever speaking foolishly, that no vain thought may ever rest or be conceived in my breast, that by each word, each deed, each thought, glory may to my God be brought. But what are wishes? Lord, mine eye on thee is fixed. To thee I cry. O oh, purge out all my dross, my tin. Make me more white than snow within. Wash, O oh Lord, and purify my heart and make it clean in every part. And when tis clean, Lord, keep it too, for that is more than I can do. And so we learn. We learn from John Wesley and the Holy Club at Oxford. We learn from Elizabeth Rye and George Fox and John Woolman 
who learned from Martin Luther, who, when he said, if you come to the table and you're afraid, pinch yourself and see if you're not really alive in the flesh, and you'll know that you need the benefits of Christ's salvation. And John Calvin, I greet thee, who my sure Redeemer art. And the hymn that we sing now in preparation for coming to the table, Just as I am, that's the only way that any of us can come, is numbered 272.
called Paul to warn that the Holy Feast is filled with joy when we take it with a clear intent to be the Lord. When we take it, we identify ourselves as the Lord. But it is fraught with terror if we presume upon it because it's the holiest deed ever done for man. Paul tells us that it is no innovation of his, it is something he has received from the Lord to be passed on. And so, the emphasis here is upon the love of God in the broken body and in the shed blood of our Savior. And we are in obedience to his command to take it until he comes again, to take it to comfort us, so that we might be strengthened against sin, have our mind and heart filled with hope of eternal life and of the sovereign purpose of God in working in our hearts and lives each day. And so you who are sorry and repentant for your sins, who desire to live a new life in Christ Jesus, are invited to partake of that holy seat. Let us pray. O oh Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for what these elements speak to us about this day, which has to do with the mystery of our redemption. There was no other good enough to pay the price for sin. You only could unlock the gate of heaven and let us in. And so we come to you, taking these symbols of your broken body and of your shed blood, taking them together as a family, praying that you will bless us by your presence and strengthen us against the designs of the evil one, and that you will use us to show forth your glory in this new year to which you have let us come. Bless us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Our Lord Jesus, in the same night in which he was betrayed, having taken bread and blessed and broken it, he gave it to his disciples, as I ministering in his name, give this bread to you, saying as he said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me.
Oh. 